All right, and we're launching into a part two of Phoenix Collider and Vitor Star discuss mental health. All right, and of course, it gets a little tangential. We have a good time in the wine cellar. And of course, I'm there as well, but I'm mostly producing the episode, part two of three. But we, we can. We just have, it's just going to take a lot of the people who know better to do more and mm. step up, you know? Um, that's why I do the work that I do now, working in media. Um, and it's, it, I've been working in mental health for a while. I've been working in mental health for, let me see, we'll say roughly, what year is this? Maybe like 15 years. Oh, wow. I've been okay. working with fam- children and families for over 20 years. Mm-hmm. I'm older than I look, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it don't crack, yes. Uh-huh. I know, I know. And by the way, I want to tell you, you are so gorgeous. I, went, I wanted to say when I saw oh, you on the show, God, this woman is beautiful. Thank anyway, you. Um, you are, and you got the hoop earrings, so I know you fly. Um, <laughs> but, um, oh, I forgot my point, looking at your gorgeous face. Um, what was I saying? <laughs> oh, I've been working in mental health and working with families for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, in that work, I've, I've learned so much even about myself. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, a lot of times we don't even realize the ways that we're playing out our traumas. Sometimes they're good ways because I also believe that traumas also can give you a superpower, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this is something that's backed by a lot of psychologists and neuroscientists, which they find that some people who've experienced trauma, or all of us, there's always this other element. We have heightened uh, abilities in certain ways. Mm-hmm. And if you look at any superhero movie, and I'll, and I'll explain, it, it's a cool if I explain the full concept. I don't know how much oh, time go ahead. we have. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. oh yeah, no, oh. I, I, we don't have any bosses. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, so if you look at like uh, any superhero or most mm-hmm. superhero stories, right? Mm-hmm. They always start with a trauma. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You crash down to earth from your alien parents, right? right. You bitten by a radioactive spider. Mm-hmm. You fall into a vat of chemicals. Mm-hmm. You have scientists experimenting on you, and you develop all these skills, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and some and some of these trump, some of these superpowers are also inherited, right? Yeah, from their parents because their parents had powers, right? Mm-hmm. Something or something traumatic happened to their people, and then their people now have developed these powers. There's all kinds of superhero stories like this, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it is in real life. We experience a trauma. So I use my own story as an example. Mm-hmm. I was raised in a very abusive household. My father was uh, had bipolar disorder and narcissistic personality disorder, mm-hmm. none of which got diagnosed until way later in mm-hmm. his life. Um, he was a recovering alcoholic. Um, he had been sober for like, a, like overall in total about 24 years. Mm-hmm. But during the time, so during the time he raised us, he hadn't drank anything, a drop of anything at all. Mm-hmm. But he was a dry drunk. Mm. And if you know what a dry drunk oh. is, and for those of you who don't know, a dry drunk is a person who is sober. They're an alcoholic that's no longer drinking, but they still have the abusive tendencies of the alcoholism. Except it's worse because they have all the dexterity of a sober person. Right. So my father was very physically, psychologically, and verbally abusive, emotionally mm-hmm. abusive, right? But my dad wasn't like he was a monster 24 7 you have these days when sometimes he'd come home and you he'd come home with donuts from Krispy Kreme or he'd take his bike riding and you know you just didn't know which dad you were going to get whenever he walked through the door Mm -hmm. so because of that traumatic experience in my childhood I developed a heightened ability to understand tone body language Mm. right facial expressions I'm highly sensitive to them yes right 
Yes. Um, because when I, my father came home, you had to see my dad. And it's funny. My dad realized this because he told me this later. He said he noticed that when he come home, me and my brother would watch him for a good maybe two, three minutes before we moved. Mm-hmm. Because we had to see which dad it was that was coming through the door. Yep. So that became my superpower later. But initially, it didn't feel like a superpower because mm-hmm. I was also, just like most superpowers, you don't know how to control them. Right. So if you're, for example, <sighs> yes. before Cyclops and X-Men learn how to control his eyes mm-hmm. and have some glasses to help mitigate his ability to use that power, he was just burning everything up with his eyes, right? Right, right. You become destructive to yourself and others because of that trauma, right? So in my example, I was highly sensitive to body language, facial expressions, and it, but I also had crazy anxiety. So mm-hmm. the second I felt like I got a disapproving look, I would panic. Yep. The second a guy would tell me, this is as an adult, the second a guy made, made a move that was just slightly different, mm-hmm. I'd panic. Oh my God, something's going on. Yep. I'm about to be hurt. Let me react. Let me protect myself. Let me go inside. Whatever my, my, whatever my survival response was, that's what I went into. Because mm-hmm. I didn't have control of that power yet. Right. I would go into super anxious. If a teacher talked to me in a certain tone, I'd get anxious. And I couldn't learn anymore. And then I'd get in trouble for not learning anymore, right? So I, and then on top of that, in the ways that I would have may have hurt others, because of my assumptions and being anxious, I might have reacted in defense. Right. And attacked someone who mm-hmm. wasn't hurt, who wasn't trying to hurt me. Mm-hmm. Because I didn't have control of that superpower. But as you get help, as you heal, as you get the support, as as you get a Mr. X, uh, what's it, Professor X, to yes. help you out yes. and help you teach you and can help teach you how to control your superpowers, what tools to use to help you. Until you get that, you could be out here hurting yourself and everybody else. But once you do, you can now control your superpowers. Yes. So now I use that power. I've been working, like I said, I've been working with families and children and families for 20 years, right? I use that skill set to be able to help people, to support people, to even be able to understand myself. Okay, I'm in a situation. I'm not sure what's happening. I can see danger before it happens. Yes. Right? That's now my superpower. So a lot of times we have these traumatic experiences, but they can help us. Mm -hmm. But we have to learn how to use those powers. We can use those things to help us find healthy relationships. We don't necessarily have to stay in that space. The thing about clout chasers and these grifters and all those people is they're taking, they're, they're going to take you away from healing. They want you to keep feeling that pain. So like you pointed out, they, so you can keep paying them or keep giving them likes and keep giving them the numbers they need to make money off of you. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is why it's important to follow directions, folks. <laughs> the, the reason why this is going so well Veter told me do less show prep. It's okay <laughs> to show up ignorant to this one. Yes. And I did. And you're getting a fantastic episode out of this. Everyone knows that's what's happening, right? Yes. Follow directions. Yes. Listen to the the professional of 15 years experience said work less hard, son. I said, <laughs> "Yes, ma'am." And and now you're getting a very constructive episode. Um, and I'll just recommend it again. Folks that have been tuning into the wine cellar over the past decade that we've been doing this, or if you showed up later, anytime later, um, I'm going to recommend Champagne Sharks. Go in your favorite podcast application. Do you have it pretty much in all streams? Yes. Um, yes. If, if you, but if you go to our website, ChampagneSharks.com, you'll see everything. If you just Google okay. Champagne Sharks, You'll find us because there's literally nothing else called that because it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
Oh, we don't drink champagne or anything like that. It's just so you're I don't not, even know how they came up with the name. So you're not actually a shark, is what you're saying. I mean, I might be. No. <laughs> there's there's strong um, irony in that, right? Because like um like you said, it means nothing, but it's so different that you can't find anything else if you search it. And mm-hmm. that it's called Champagne Sharks, because I did the same thing. Ten years ago when I started, I called the program Father Teresa's Wine Cellar. I dressed up like Mother Teresa for all the pictures. And it was like, it's goofy enough, you're gonna click it. What's this guy talking about? (laughs) And I don't think I'm wholly unprofessional. Like, when I'm covering my climate change stuff, I'm gonna give you all my sources. I'm gonna give you the professors and all the names. But Champagne Sharks, I will just say is a better sourced program. It's just they're doing something good over there. Go over, click it. You got five bucks. Hit the Patreon. It's a quality program. They do a, Imagine what Veter's doing here. Imagine over... what oh, You guys are in the 500 episode area now. Oh, man. I don't even know. Yeah, they got- started before... So I they actually started with just four of them. It was four guys. Hmm. And um, one of them passed away. Mm. And um, a little bit later, I don't know if it was a year or so later, um, they saw me on Twitter, like how you saw me on Twitter, just went in my mouth. And um, <laughs> and one of them asked me to be on an episode, um, and I joined an episode. Next thing I know, they asked me to do it continuously. And I was like, sure. <laughs> so they had already started. They had been doing it for a few years before I even hopped on. But um, they might be at like 500-something. I don't know. Um, okay. I'll be honest with you. I mostly, when I record, I... I'm so self-conscious. I never go back and listen to anything I do. Um, I rarely go back. I won't say never, but I rarely go back. So let me, I'm going to look and tell you how many um, episodes we're at. But um, yeah, I thank you so much, by the way, for you know promoting it and, and championing it because it's a. It was. I've been actually been on a lot of shows, and I've been on some. Um, some didn't work out so great. Um, some worked out okay, but it wasn't for me mm-hmm. um this show it was like everything i was looking for in a show <laughs> mm-hmm. so nice. when they asked me to be a part of it i was like this is what i want because i think people because one thing i love about us one we have four different diverse perspectives and now that i'm there as not only a woman uh, as a black woman but as a person who's really big into mental health i add mm-hmm. another element to mm-hmm. the program but we talk about all sorts of things. The main thing is we don't have this belief that everything is in these dichotomy, right? Yeah. Everything is one thing or the other. We don't have these extremes. There's nuance in almost everything. And sometimes there's a whole nother perspective that wasn't even discussed, right? Wasn't even brought up. So I love that. I love that we don't have to be beholden to um, a side on anything, you know? Not that none of us have sides. All of us do in some way and have our own biases, right? But I just appreciate being able to have conversations with people who are understanding of multiple perspectives, but at the same time, understanding how to call out BS regardless of whose side you're on, right? Mm-hmm. I might like a certain politician that in LA, but if they start fucking up, I can feel okay to call it out, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to feeling like I have to be loyal to something. If I think mm-hmm. black women in a particular conversation are fucking up, I can say that. If I think black men are fucking up, I can call that out too without feeling like, oh no, you're turning against your own people. No, I'm calling out something specific about a specific group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I appreciate that, you know. I appreciate you guys bringing me on here, honestly. I, I, I'm very, very flattered. 
Yeah, and I love in the graphics too, by the way. I've been. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm producing what I can. Like I told you in the message, like um, I had the computer just farted on me and I lost a bunch of show prep. I usually have more things I can click to, but I was like, I'm already late. And at, at, as a, a part of the blackmail monolith, I already hate being late for work because that just makes it even worse. And I was, I wanted to ask, cause it might just, it could be a fuzzy memory because I'm like a decade out from this experience now. And it could also be your accentuation. You may sound like another person I've heard. Were you ever on a panel with the Black Freethinkers podcast with Kim Veal? Okay. We've been on programs <laughs> together before anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That is so dope. What? Okay. Yeah, I actually used to have a show on Black Freethinkers Radio. Um, I've been on a few Black Freethinkers things uh, around that time. That was so long ago. Oh, my God. That's like 10 years ago or longer. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. When I, I was on there and, you know, like I, w- I would join the panels, but it was like I, I've got to break off and do my own program because I had more. I had different interests. I was at the end of my 20s. And I was like, I don't really like this capitalism thing. And I want to talk more about that. You know, and they were more. I they, get it. Yeah. And they're a lot more academic than me while I'm kind of just, you know, flying off the handle. Blue collar guy kind of aged out of foster care. And I'm like, yo, fuck all the presidents. You know, I'm just ready to go off in a different direction. And I mean, so far we're, we're still rocking it. Like it's, it's dope. Yeah. What was your, did you go have a different name on the show? Nah, still William. But really? I, I but I I wasn't really on the mic that much because there were oh. typically a lot of people, and as I said, like as now I'm I was still kind of ideologically homeless. Like when I speak, if someone calls me a feminist, like I may not call myself that, but I get why they would say that. If they if I speak like my wife calls me an anarchist, I barely know anything about that, but I bet, you know what? She's smart. I probably am. Someone calls me a Marxist. I'm like, eh, maybe. <laughs> but then when I... Huh. I relate. I relate to a lot of what you're saying. <laughs> I'm the same way, actually. I don't... And I've said this on social media. I've said this on shows. I've said this multiple times. You'll never see me assign myself with... Or... Um, you'll never see me associate myself or label myself according to any group. You'll mm-hmm. never see me do it. I've probably done it in the past, and I have done it in the past, and I saw where things were going, and I was like, nah, like even feminism. I called myself a black feminist when I thought when I thought black feminist was something different than what it has become. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I learned more about feminism and feminist history, um, I was like, okay, maybe this isn't me at all. <laughs> you know, um, I started looking more into Africana womanism, and I'm still learning about that. Um, shout out to Dr. Zakia Myers. Um, but I don't, I've never, I, even Pan-Africanism, you know, I'm not against it, but I wouldn't call myself a Pan-Africanist. But if you hear me talking and you might like, think I'm a Pan-Africanist, you know? Um, but I, you know, it's like most things I, I can think something had holds true elements that make me that, you know? Um, yeah. I don't even label myself according to any of those things because the yep. second that group does something weird right you're associated with that yeah and then know? and then everyone wants you to like explain it or justify it be like well then why did they do this you're like i wasn't even there when this decision right. was made i don't know like i don't even agree I, with that you know like, but now i'm associated with this belief system that has nothing to do with what i think mm-hmm. and you know and i think a lot of that for me comes from growing up in a cult and i think mm. um 
yeah, and I didn't know I was in a cult. I, was, I thought it was just like reg- like everybody else's church until you start to realize, oh, everybody does have a prophet you have to obey and get permission to go to prom or Oof. join the cheerleading squad or, Damn. you know. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that was my life. <laughs> so I think because of that experience, and then once I got out of the cult, I, I mean, you just leave. You don't know that at the time, but you just leave. Some cults. Um, I was like 19 when I left. I went to college, really. And my life just didn't, it just was too hard to, to keep up with that cult life because they keep you busy 24 mm. seven. That's how they work. They have you involved. You're sleep deprived. It's a lot of sleep depri- deprivation. Oh, Been wow. guilted for not being sleep deprived or how dare you, you don't believe in, you know, you don't want to believe in the Lord's work if you want to go home and get some rest, you know? Mm. Um, but I think from that experience and then leaving that experience and learning more, when I left, I didn't, when I left, I didn't even know it was a cult still. I didn't identify it as a cult. Hmm. I just said I didn't feel like going to church anymore. Mm-hmm. And then um, later, my dad had me looking and he was leaving the church finally. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where he got sober, by the way. Mm. So that's why I don't, also don't judge people in cults. And I think it's a lot because I was in one, but most people don't understand. Most people don't join cults. They join a support group. They join a church. They join a mm-hmm. uh, a movement, right? They don't, nobody joins a cult, right? Um, he called me one day and he was like, I'm, I've been learning more about spiritual abuse. I think that's what we've been going through. Uh, so he wanted to know why I stopped going. And we started talking about it. He's like, yeah, I think me and my wife were leaving. And his wife was also raised in it. Mm. And um, when we left, when he left, I started doing more information, getting more research on cults. And if you look at a lot of these groups, it's a lot of cult thinking, right? That's why I don't align myself with anything. I'm an African American, but I am not FBA or Ados, right? No. Um, and and I'm saying that because I, I don't align myself with any group, but because the second you don't align with their group beliefs, they start attacking you, mm-hmm. right? Second, you start questioning their leader. Mm-hmm. Think about it. You question Tariq Nasheed on Twitter, they all come out the woodwork. I called him out on something he lied about, but I knew for a fact that he lied about. And mm-hmm. I got all kinds of videos accusing me of not being an African-American. Yeah. <laughs> and all this other I, stuff. I did that, too, and I got called a Haitian. <laughs> Oh, like (laughs) apparently I'm Heather, uh, all this stuff, you know, uh, and it was just like, no, I just know for a fact that he's lying about this particular thing because of, I knew because I couldn't say it and I didn't say it then, but I, because of my, the work that I was doing at the time, mm -hmm. I knew he was lying. Yeah. And the people that I know in the community, um, I knew he was lying. Mm -hmm. And so when I said that, and that's all I said, I said, he's lying, this He's not doing what he said he's doing. Mm-hmm. And they came out the woodwork. Yep. Um, then there was one day I had all these people who were Ados who were following Yvette Carnell who started asking me if I believed in the Ados movement. And it's like, if, you're, if you don't, then I'm going to block you. So I had like all these people blocking me who I, I didn't even know were following me <laughs> um, because I, I didn't align myself with Yvette Carnell. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I don't even really know that much about her to even say too much about her anyway. I just wasn't, uh, I don't align myself with any of that stuff. Because that stuff gets real cultish. It even does. the feminism stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, with Yvette Carnell, I um, did like a bit of a deep dive on them and found out that like, basically they get their talking points from PFIR, which is like a white nationalist organization. And that was like the end of ADOS and FBA for me. 
Wow, I didn't even know that. I'm not surprised. But yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's um was like an organization. It's called. It's actually progressive is in the name, like as a misnomer, right? So it's actually PFIR is pro, uh, progressive progressives for immigration um something, um immigration reform. And so, like, the idea is that they actually, are, like, are progressives who are anti-immigration, but then, like, it tied in nicely with all these, like, um, FBA and ADOS talking points about, like, oh, the Haitians and the people from Ghana and Nigerians and shit are coming here and, like, taking our jobs and whatever the fuck. And then when you look back, they're getting these talking points from, like, PFIR, which was a group founded by John Tanton, who's, like, a straight-up white supremacist. Like, he openly mm. admits that shit. He supports eugenics and all the whole thing. But, um... Like, his website is the same thing. Like, his website directly leads to, like, Fox News and Breitbart and, like, Ben Shapiro and shit and, like, just nothing about how horrible black immigrants are. And, like, this is where y'all got your talking points from and you want me to take you serious? Yeah. All right, then. All right, man. It's not even even a productive conversation. That's the other thing I have a pet peeve about with online conversations. I hate things that are just repeated talking points but there's nothing productive there's nothing strategic about it yeah i've been working in my community my whole life since i was 14 years old right um on the record and i'm from south central live in south central la lived here pretty much my entire life um i live when i say i live in south central i mean i live in south central like i'm not far from where they killed nip nipsey Mm. hustle right um I was actually down the street, didn't even know when they just they just killed the uh, PNB Rock. Oh damn! I was literally down the street, literally like a few blocks away um, when it was going on because I was grabbing lunch for a coworker mm-hmm. um, in another spot that was not you know that whole area has a lot of food over there. But um, I really, as a person who's been active in their community, who actually takes action, who's actually been a part of big policy changes. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a part of a group where we want $153 million to fix the cosmetic issues of our schools, corroded water fountains, falling ceiling tiles, peeling paint, all these things. We raised that money. You mm-hmm. know, like, not only said we raised it, we didn't raise it. We actually fought for a, a bill right. that got put, a pro- it was called Proposition BB. We won that, right? Mm-hmm. I've done all types of work. Uh, we did a campaign to make it so that the college graduation, requ- the, gra- the high school graduation requirements were the same as the, as the state college interest requirements so mm-hmm. that when people got 3.5 GPAs, they could actually go to a state college. Because yes. before what was happening was that you would, at, at our schools in South Central, we weren't getting all the classes we needed mm-hmm. in order to even qualify for a state school. We couldn't even qualify. You had a 3.5 GPA. But because you didn't have three years of math, you only had two, mm-hmm. you couldn't go to UCLA. You couldn't yep. go to Cal State LA. You couldn't go to Berkeley, right? Mm-hmm. You couldn't even apply. Like, you'd apply, and then, like, you don't have enough credits in the right classes. Mm-hmm. So, and if, you, and, if, and if you want to take a different track, let's say you weren't trying to go to college, you could actually opt out and say, hey, actually, I do want the other requirements, but I'm not going to college, or I have a different plan. So we fought for that. Like, so I'm a person who's about action. We fought to keep 100, 250 liquor stores to being rebuilt in our communities after mm. getting burnt down in the 90s, right? I was in community meetings 200 deep trying to stop liquor stores from being built in my community, right? Mm. Um, which people don't understand the, the correlation between liquor stores and violence in their <clears throat> communities. There's actually mm. studies that are in Chicago and LA, mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure in other places too. Um, so at any rate, I've been about this life. I've been about policy change. I've been about direct action. So when I talk, see people on the internet talking about things that don't even sound realistic, they don't even sound like actual strategies. You're just trying to gather people to do what? 
Exactly. I believe in reparations. We do need reparations. Now where we 100% should be fighting for reparations. But if the way you're going about it is by attacking a bunch of other people, I don't see how that's helpful. Exactly. I don't see where the long-term strategy is in that. Mm-hmm. Right. And there isn't because everyone's just grifting. Well, not everyone, but like some of the most prominent voices are people just grifting, trying to get their follower counts up and get their clicks up and monetize their content. And yeah, they have absolutely no interest in actually helping the community. And like, that's just devastating to me to know that so many people are essentially being led astray. And it's like, you know, we're at a point now where a bunch of black people have left churches because churches are abusive. But like y'all didn't a lot of black people left churches and thought that like the church itself was the problem as opposed to being able to identify red flags and bad behavior, manipulative behavior, abusive behavior. And so, like, it does you no good to leave one situation where you're being abused and manipulated just to end up in the same situation with a different person. And that's, you know, but people don't have uh, enough conversations, in my mind, about, you know, these red flags and recognizing these patterns of abuse. Like, you can change the location, but if you don't understand the patterns, you're going to get caught up again and again and again. And, yeah, that's... It's just, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to me. And this, what everything you're saying right now, you'll see this replicated in every facet of our lives or in, in people's lives, right? You see it in relationships, you'll see it in churches, you'll see it in education, you'll see it in various spaces because of trauma. And I'm going back to that point for a reason. Um, we don't realize the ways that trauma shape our brain. Mm hmm. In the way that it makes us react to certain, certain situations. So, like, I get really upset when people talk about abused women and how they end up in another abusive relationship. That, oh, they keep going in. They just, they must like it. People have told me this, by the way. And they don't understand what happens to the brain. If you don't, if this is, if you don't recognize the same red flags that I might recognize, you're going to end up in the same situation. Yep. So, for example, I told you guys my father had NPD, narcissistic personality disorder. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that growing up. We didn't even know. I didn't know the shit existed, mm-hmm. right? But with narcissistic personality disorder, you when you raise children, you actually traumatize your children. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what love looked like. Mm-hmm. I knew narcissism. Yep. So when as I grew older, that was what I his the things that. You know, he did the ways that he treated me, the ways that I behaved. These became normal. Mm-hmm. So most people don't know this, but you have most people know their survival responses. Fight, flight and freeze. Right. right. People know those three. People don't know about the fourth one. Hmm. It's fight, flight, freeze and appease. Mm. Yes. Appease is the fourth survival response. Because what happens to your body, especially with women, they find this also with adolescent girls, their bodies flow with oxytocin and they become more connected to their abuser. Because oxytocin is a love drug. That's what helps you bond mother to child or you and your spouse, mm-hmm. like the, the, the feeling of oxytocin, that chemical. Mm-hmm. So our bodies flood with oxytocin and we become more bonded with our abusers. Because that's something our brains do to keep us safe. Mm-hmm. Our brains say, in order to be safe, I have to make sure I'm befriending the danger. Yep. So as a child, I was an appeaser. I did what I could to keep myself safe from my father's abuse. Mm-hmm. So I would try to go above and beyond, try to be the good kid, the good daughter and all this stuff, right? To mm-hmm. help at least minimize the amount of abuse that I would I would get. Yep. Of course, being a kid, you still do kid stuff and you make kid mistakes. Right, right. But in general, I try my best to stay out of trouble. And I was very afraid of adults because I knew adults had a lot of power. 
So I was a compliant kid. This other thing when I train teachers, I tell them, look out for this. They think compliant children are okay. They know they know that the kid who's acting up got problems. Right. But the compliant kid is also could also could also be, not saying always, but could also be exhibiting a trauma response. Mm-hmm. I was getting beat at home. Nobody knew because I was such a good kid. Oh, she's so well behaved. Right. I couldn't even I, I was failing math. But because I wasn't a gang member, it wasn't causing no problems. I graduated from high school. I was compliant enough. Mm-hmm. Right. But that feel that need to be compliant to power that need to appease the power happened in my relationships. So I repeated that pattern. I got into relationships that were nar- with narcissists, literal narcissists. Mm-hmm. One guy told me he was a narcissist. Damn. And I argued with him because I didn't see the red flags. Mm-hmm. Cause it was normal for me. Certain things were normal to me. What might be a red flag to you you might be like, girl, that guy is clearly got some issues. He's mm-hmm. arrogant. He's this, he's that. But when you, when they're not red flags to you because they're so normal, mm-hmm. you're used to being treated a certain way. Yes. You're used to people talking to you a certain way. Yes. And your first reaction is to be a better woman. Like I had to be a better kid. I didn't go, I didn't stand up for myself. I didn't say, hey, you know what? No, you're the one that's wrong here. And when I try, just like you do when you're a kid, you get shut down. Mm-hmm. No, you don't know what you're talking about. Gaslighting you. Parents gaslight their kids. They don't even realize they do it. Yep. But the same thing. I was in these gaslighting ass relationships. And I don't mean gaslight how the internet talks about gaslighting. You just, yeah. I disagree with you and I don't oh, like it. God, so I hate that gaslighting shit. Me. Oh God, everything yes. on the internet is, it, it's just all McCarthyism. Not a single word is outside of that practice now. Yeah, I think anyone who uses the term gaslighting should be forced to watch the movie. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I, that's a very interesting movie. Um, it's a good movie. But it's true. Like people, And that's, the, that's tangent. Mm-hmm. I have another pet peeve, which is people using mental health terms wrong and to Ooh. just debate people and play victim in debates that they're losing. Yes. Right? You're gaslighting me. This You're being toxic. Um I'm being traumatized. I'm, you know, this is a traumatic experience for me. Yes. I'm not going to say you're not being traumatized. Maybe you are. But a lot of times that they're just saying you disagree with me. Yep. And I don't like it. And it hurts yep. my feelings. Yep. And it's, it started with hater. Yeah. <laughs> Back at the, at, at the <laughs> right. end of the yeah. 90s, it was hater. Yeah. Hater. Everybody's a hater. Everybody's I can't just disagree hater, with right? you. I, I'm, I, I'm jealous of you. That's the real thing. Right? Yes. It's not because you're being mean to me. It's not because you're rude to people. It's because... I'm jealous. You know, it's like when the girls would be in school, they just jealous because I got long hair. You know, they was like, <laughs> I ain't jealous. I mean, I might be, but I don't know your credit score. I don't know if I'm jealous or not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but in, in my, but getting back to my point, you know, mm-hmm. you're not, if you don't recognize the signs because you're so used to them, you're used to being violated, you're used to being talked to a certain way, you're going to continue to get into relationship and after relationship, and you think you're doing something different, because mm-hmm. you'll go, because you, we look at superficial things. Right. Well, the last guy, he treated me that way, because he, you know, he was broke, and he didn't have a good job, he was mm-hmm. stressed out, I'm not going to date those kind of guys, I made a guy with a good job, who's not going to treat me that way, and you get to you date a guy with a good job, and he still treats you messed up, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. You get a guy who's a little bit taller, and he still treets you messed up, yep. you meet a guy at church, he still treats you messed up, you yep. guy, meet a guy on tinder he still treats you messed up you meet a guy at the supermarket he still treats you like it doesn't change because you change all these other superficial elements right the problem has been in you you don't yep. recognize the signs yep you think love bombing is a good thing yeah 
Because it's like, well, it's like the rose-colored glasses thing. If you have rose-colored glasses on, a red flag is just a flag, you know? Um, should, right. we def- should we define love bombing just in case a new young person tunes in? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to do it or you want me to do it? Oh, you can do it. So love bombing is usually happens at the beginning of a relationship where this the, the guy, oh, well, let's say guy because women do it too in a different way. But when the person and your partner... Um, begins to shower you, give you lots of attention, mm-hmm. buy you a lot of things, um, mm-hmm. you know, remembers things like, you know, for your birthday and they do, but they go above and beyond. Like, mm-hmm. it's insane. Like, you guys have been dating a week and he's already doing all this extra stuff. Right. Sometimes, if you don't recognize this is a flag, you go, oh my God, he just loves me. He just really likes me. He's great. He's great. And you, you're all in and he's buying, but slowly at the same time, he's telling you, you know, your homegirl, she's jealous because of how I treat you. Mm-hmm. That's why she don't. That's why she be looking at me like that. She sees planning these little things in your head, and they start separating you from your family, separating you from your friends. Yep. The next thing you know, you and you to the point where you believe him or them. Um, I keep saying him because my story, the stories I have, it was actually with men. Mm-hmm. But women, like I said, women can do the same thing. When women start doing that obsessive thing, and you think, oh, yeah. she's just she's cooking for me, she's popping up at your job with a meal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You you knew you you didn't even tell her where you work. She found it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. of, that's also a part of it, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, but then they start telling you how everybody else is wrong, mm-hmm. how you're the only one, you know, how, how they're the only one that can take care of you and love you and support you, but they're slowly separating you. They're controlling you. Mm-hmm. They're saying, you know, they're questioning why are you over there with your friend, so and so. You know you know she don't like me. Right. You start to distance yourself from your friends. Mm-hmm. You, he sees you talk, or uh, he or she sees you at the supermarket, and you're giggling it up with somebody, and they get jealous. Oh, that—they're just like that because you know they love me, right? Right. Then you start to realize, wait a minute, they're controlling. Mm-hmm. Then they start to do things and like, like physically hurting you, mm-hmm. and then making excuses for it, mm-hmm. or even being overly apologetic in the moment. Yeah. Right. But they go right back to the same behaviors. So love bombing is the part that's supposed to bring you in. Yeah. And then I also find with like the love bombing that they start uh, doing a lot less bombing once you're in. Right. There's a lot less love like that whole like, you know, oh, it's just Monday and I was thinking of you. So I brought you flowers that that doesn't happen anymore. No. Right. And then 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 it leaves you feeling crazy, basically like what did I do wrong? Why am I not being paid the same attention? Why am I not still getting these same gifts? Like, why am I now being treated, um, you know, less than I was being treated six months ago? Like, what did I do? And it creates this like really terrible internal dialogue. Um, Like thinking that you can like earn that attention back, but like the person didn't have good intentions with that attention. So no, you can't like, you can't earn it back because it was given under like false pretenses, I guess I would say. You know, absolutely. And and the reality is that you probably felt that way before. And this sort of was familiar to you. Yes. And I'll give you an example. And this is uh, I was watching this video um, with this author. He's a psychologist, Dr. Gabor Mate. It was really interesting. He talked about how these sort of things actually start in your infancy. So, for example, it's very confusing to a baby when they're crying and you hold them and you hug them and you're feeding them and you're doing all that loving thing, doing the loving things. And then another time they're crying and crying and crying and you give them no attention. 
most people don't know, but that's very confusing for babies. You're supposed to hold your baby when they cry. Dr. Spock, apparently, if it's like in the 50s or 60s, hmm. said you, you don't hold your baby because it'll spoil them, right? That's what? essentially what he was saying. But that turned out to be completely scientifically off the mark. Babies literally need to be held and, com- and, and felt safe, even if they're just crying to be held. That's what they need, right? Okay. When you don't do that consistently, it creates a confusion in the baby. And as they develop, their brain develops, they develop a confusion around whether or not they're wanted or not, whether or not they're loved or not. And if the same thing happens when you get into these relationships, you start to get confused. You're in a situation where, well, they held me last time. What's going on this time? Uh, Must be something wrong with me. And as you get older, you start to, and children don't blame their parents. They never blame their parents. They always blame themselves. Oh, I must be doing something wrong. I must be bad. I must not be worthy of being loved. And then you get into these relationships and repeat that cycle. And a lot of this starts very early. And so you've come to even be in these type of relationships where you're becoming, you're repeating this cycle of, you know, well, this person's mistreating me, but it must be my fault. I'm not doing the right thing. When I worked at the domestic violence shelter, that was something common that I would hear. It was like, well, you know, I did forget, I did burn his food. That doesn't give him the right to slap you because you burned his food, right? That's not okay. Um, but it's very, it's very sad because we don't realize the way that we've repeated these cycles. And sometimes there's traumas and situations that are growing up we don't even remember because it was so normal. Like I didn't know I was being abused as a child. I was working with abused children. Most of my work has been working with children. And in that time, I was working with children who were going through some horrific traumas. Their parents were incarcerated. They were growing up in foster care or kinship care. Um, they were pregnant or parenting teens. They were living in the housing projects of, you know, in Watts and, you know, that sort of thing. And during the time of the biggest gang war of, of the 2000s, right? So you have these uh, these children who are going through all types of stuff. I worked with children who have been abused by their parents, children, you know, all this stuff. And I'm, my whole thing is I want to save the children not even knowing I was one of those abused children. Not even knowing that I was a kid who was growing up in a traumatic neighborhood, a traumatized neighborhood. Not even knowing that I was that person. I was trying to help myself for years by helping these children. Not even realizing I had been abused. Not even realizing the relationships that I were in, that I was in were mimicking the abuse that I experienced in my childhood. Never realized it. It wasn't until I learned about trauma and learned how deep it goes. I learned about mm-hmm. complex, complex PTSD. When I learned about that, which by the way, should be a diagnosis in the DSM, they won't do it. Because if they do that, then they have to eliminate and re and re uh re-examine how they diagnose other things, such such as ADHD. Mm. Right? Because they're finding out that ADHD is often misdiagnosed because it's actually PTSD in children. Mm. And I'll act and I, I got the diagnosis of ADHD. I actually believe it's more more likely childhood trauma <laughs> than ADHD. But at any rate, I forgot. I don't know if you had another question. I'm just going on and on. Yeah, that nah, it, it's 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 been ill. Like it, this, I'm like Jesus Christ. Is, do we have to get sent an invoice or something? Right. Like, <laughs> we should do this more. We should do this more often. Really. I would love to be on again. Absolutely. Because there's so much to talk about. Like I, my trainings are like you know yes. day long, <laughs> eight hours for three days. Yeah. Um, and if so, I may, just my bad. Oh, go ahead, uh, if I go could ahead. just mention again, like the irony of like remembering you from uh from black free thinkers and hearing because i know you had a program and um i couldn't catch everything live but i would catch it in itunes later when i'm out 
you know, running around on the bicycle and whatnot on the weekend. And like what folks hear a lot on this program is sometimes I play uh, music in the background, actually a lot. And uh, and lately I've been going more lo-fi. I deliberately set it to lo-fi. And that's because I heard Veter doing that. Uh, and I was like, that lo-fi shit sounds good. Okay, I like okay. that because because it, it grooves and the and the music doesn't take over mm-hmm. the voice of the people talking, okay. but but you but you can still bop to it. Oh, okay, my bad. You were you were hopping in. Uh, no, I was just actually asking. Um, so, do you like offer trainings? Is that like a thing or like sessions? So, like, yes, but um, I don't want to put it on here specifically because okay. okay. I have to use my you know it's pro style. Yes. Uh, um, yeah, people, um, actually, but, but I. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say, like, can we like chat about this after the show? Because like, there, oh, absolutely. Because there might be people like, because I work at a 501c3 who might be interested. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I and I I will say this though, I do train. Non- in fact, I recently just trained a, a nonprofit organization called Communities and Schools, mm-hmm. and out here in LA. And um, it, I train. I do the on- onboarding where I train them in understanding how understanding trauma and how to work with parents because mm. uh, they work with students a lot, but a lot of people don't know how to work with parents. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, absolutely. We could talk more about that, but I would also offer a training, like we could do a mini training on here one day. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Well. I love that. Because I, there's so much to cover, like how mm-hmm. the brain works, understanding your, your brain development, understanding how, you know, your ability to even be able to think and plan long-term literally go offline when you're in panic mode, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when you have to feel like you have to survive, your ability to connect, empathize, literally shut down um and it impacts our our decisions get not getting our needs met not understanding what needs are we mm-hmm. think needs are just food sleep shelter water right and the, the people will tell you my kid is spoiled they have all their needs met and i'm like no they wouldn't this, these behaviors wouldn't be happening if their needs were met mm-hmm. there's other needs that exist yep. right such as your need for honesty, your need for support, your need for connection, your need for acceptance, your need for um, rest, your need for, um, I mean, there's a bunch of them, <laughs> stability, right? Exactly. Your need for clarity, that's a need. People mm-hmm. don't understand that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't understand their need for understanding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Empathy, you need to feel empathy. You mm-hmm. need to have that from other people. And when you don't get it, think, look at how people act when you dismiss their feelings. Yep. Look at how you act when you, when your feelings are dismissed. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. And if you can relate to the fact that, okay, I understand what those needs are because I've been there, it's easier for us to connect and empathize with that. Therefore, giving them more, get, helping them get more of their needs met. Right. And that will wrap up part two of Phoenix Kalita Ranveter Star Discuss Mental Health. Check back with me on Friday for part three, and that'll be the closer of that episode. And I'll be interested in contacting Vita Star and trying to get her back in for another run. Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, 
Join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.